Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Welcome, everyone. I'm Karen Vaughn from 106.7 WTLC. And once again, I hope you are enjoying our virtual expo. Inspire You Virtual Expo to where we are focusing on health, self and wealth. And in this panel, we are talking about our youth, our future, mentoring young men. And boy, do we have a panel that is going to be amazing at talking about this subject, uh, powered by our amazing sponsor, the Mind Trust, who's doing so many great things in our community, including their community learning sites, helping kids throughout the Indianapolis area with e-learning and helping working parents as well. So I have brought everyone in. As you can see, this is going to be action-packed. Our panel, Generational Manhood, Mentoring for Equality. And to get to, to know everyone on the panel, I am gonna ask each of you to do two things, all right? It's going to be a quick one. Tell us your name and title, and with one word, characterize mentorship. Let's start with you, Coach T. Yep. Hey, everybody. Karen uh, Tariq Al Nasir, PhD, affectionately known as uh, Coach T, founder and CEO of Gymnasium. And the one word that I would use for a mentor it would be extraordinary. Patrick. Yeah, Patrick Jones, Senior Vice President of Leadership and Equity for the Mind Trust. And uh, the one word I would use is compass. Francisco. Hello, my name is Francisco Valiosera, and I am an Innovation School Fellow with the Mind Trust. And the words I would use are uh, community builder. Jeff. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeff Nellis, founder and executive director of Promise Prep. And the word I'll use is thought partner. Arnetta? Hi, I'm Arnetta Scruggs with the Bloom Project. I'm the executive director and founder. And the one word I would use is relationship. Nice. Percy? My name is Percy Bland Jr. I'm the youth pastor at Eastern Star Church. Um, and the word that I would use to describe mentor is uh, counselor. Nice. Each word just really defines, uh, you know, a role and um, a road towards mentorship and being a mentor. And kudos to all of you for for being mentors and our mentors in our community and the great work that you all do. And let's dive into that a little bit um, and get a landscape check here. Mentorship, briefly, what does it mean to each of you? Yeah, I'll start. Um, one of the reasons I said guide and what it means to me is because I look at life as a journey. And I look at if you if you are to mentor a young man or any person or, or a grown man, you have to realize that everybody is on their own journey. And if we give them a map, which is what many people do, give them a roadmap, they cannot follow the same journey you have. They cannot tread the same hills that you have tread. What they can do is they can start to blaze their own trail and so rather than use a map when mentoring young people or even thinking through your own journey, you must use a compass. So you have to understand what your values are and what you believe in and what you think is important. So a mentor's job is to be a guide or is to help develop that compass within the young person 
so that they can manage their own terrain. Arnetta? Um, I was, I use the word relationship as far as mentoring because the young men that we work with, that's all they want is someone that actually cares about them and that can, like um, Patrick said, guide them into the right direction, but also just to listen. And so, so many times that's all they want is a relationship with someone. Yeah. And meeting them where they are. Right. You know, everyone is different and comes from different backgrounds and, and meeting the child where they are to continue to build them up with that consistency. Um, Percy? Yeah, I like what both of those kind of laid out. Um, understanding the value of being able to invest in someone else and kind of- Yeah. All right, we'll get we'll get Percy back in here. Jeff, why don't you go ahead and take it from here? We're passing the baton to you. Yeah, no worries. I'll I, I build on what um, both people said before. Um, but ultimately, I, I said thought partner because I, I just believe like, you know, everything's innately inside of human beings. And sometimes people need someone to just be able to to be pushed on how they think about things. Um, and um, having someone to unapologetically say what you mean um, or how you feel is extremely important. And I think on both sides of the spectrum, like whether to be pushed, whether to be affirmed, uh, or whether just to say like, just to be listened to, I think it's extremely important too. I think all too often things begin with a thought and sometimes the thought never even becomes a reality because people don't say it. Right, right. Francisco? Yeah, well, I chose Community Builder uh, because uh, in my in my uh, childhood, I, uh, part of my leadership story starts with uh, uh, two different teachers, one who uh, chose to accept me into their community, although I, I did not belong in that community. So uh, I, I aced his first exam and um, he offered me the opportunity to move to the next level and I declined it. And the other teacher in my other class when I aced her first final, uh, the first exam, uh, he kicked me out of his class and he put me in the, in the uh, higher level uh, in the honors course. And what I mean, what I mean by community builder is that you, uh, a community builder needs to know when someone belongs in in that community and is going to welcome them in, or is going to actually exit them from that community and say you belong in this other community, and I'm going to help you get there. Nice, Coach T. Yeah. So you know, connecting all of you know this to extraordinary. Um, I believe that all young men and really all children have superpowers. And so this requires someone to be extraordinary in looking at the dynamics of what it is that they bring. And so essentially helping them and showing them how to unlock that. Tying this to my own personal experiences, you know, when I look back on the mentors that existed in my life, they were nothing short of extraordinary. And I'm, I'm living proof of that. Um, you're talking about someone who could easily be in any neighborhood in Indianapolis, kicked out of high school in the ninth grade. That was it. But I had mentors that stepped in to see that what would have otherwise just been uh, a terrible demise turned into be something extraordinary because they themselves was extraordinary. And, um, you know, all of to me that it connects to the compass, it connects to the community building, it, it connects to everything uh, that everyone's saying here. And so, you know, it's I, I think that that mentor, they, they have the ability to break down these walls and these biases and these energies, because oftentimes these young black men are misunderstood. But when you have someone who is extraordinary, someone who has a compass, someone who is a community builder, 
they have the ability to show that young person how to become extraordinary, unlocking their superhero abilities. Mm, nice, nice. And we have Percy back. So let's bring you back into the fold, uh, Percy, as we now pass the baton back to you. We're talking about mentorship. And briefly, what does that mean to you? Yeah, sorry for that. Um, can you all hear me okay? Yeah, we're good. Um, I think everybody else pretty much summed it up and hit it. Uh, I love Coach T's superpower thing and just the, yeah. the mindset uh, that, that that we are helping. <laughs> Can you all hear me okay? Mm-hmm. Having the mindset that we all are help, helping them to um, maximize their potential. Uh, so I'll keep it brief. What everybody said in terms of investing and kind of being that worldview guide for them, teaching them and training them how to think and help them navigate them down their professional path or to wherever they would like their life to take. Nice. Patrick, I, I want to bring it to you now. The Mind Trust is our host for this panel. Talk to me about your role uh, with the Mind Trust and what do you do? Yeah. So uh, my role is Senior Vice President of Leadership and Equity. And in that role, I oversee the equity work internally and externally at the Mind Trust. And so, in looking at internally, um, I'm the chair of the DEI committee within the Mind Trust, which aims to look at some of the practices that we have internally and how those practices can be made more equitable for different facets of our organization. Also, look at externally. So, one of the things we have coming up is we have two. Uh, equity cohorts, uh, one for schools and one for not-for-profits that we have. Um, and uh, with those equity cohorts, we look to um, exit that cohort, for, of which we're a member as well. Uh, we look to exit that uh, cohort at the end of 10 months with a three-year strategic plan on how we plan to achieve equity within our institution. So it's very important for us that not only are we good partners internally for our staff and for the children uh, that we serve in the city, but that we're good partners with everybody else that we work with and exploring this idea of equity and not just in the idea sense, not in the touchy feely sense, but in the outcome sense, in the student achievement sense, in the student advocacy sense, and in the student social capital gaining sense. That's our, that's our goal for children of this city and to make sure that some of the children who have been historically disenfranchised from those opportunities have an opportunity to gain what they need and rightfully deserve. Yeah, making that impact is so vital. And especially, you know, right now with all what's going on, you know, to use this platform, you know, with the Mind Trust to focus on mentorship. You know, why mentorship and the focus on male educators of color mentoring young men of color? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, is that back at me, Karen? It sure is. There we go. So <laughs> I think the research around that is clear, though. So when we look at, especially, specifically, if you talk about educators, mm -hmm. the research around that is extremely clear. If a, if a Black student has a Black teacher, at least one, they have a 13% likelihood of going to college. If they have two, that likelihood increases to 32%. And so if you look at that research alone, that's enough for us to start to invest in some of these strategies. Um, the other thing we got to make aware of is there for our kids to have everything that they deserve and need in life. We have to understand what those things are. Right. And we know that every parent wants for their child to be independent, self-sustaining. That requires you to have employment, whether it is through the entrepreneur space or is it through the general employment space? 
that has opportunities for leadership. To get that, some things need to be true earlier in your life. Some things need to be true. And I'm talking about in that in mass, not single cases, right? Some things need to be true in mass. And that is you need to have a K through 12 experience that leads to that particular outcome, which means you need to be reading on grade level. You need to be doing math on grade level. You need to have the social capital that is there, people who believe in you, mentors, so to speak, people who are gonna sponsor you in spaces. Uh, and for that to exist, uh, one of the things that we see it as our mission at the Mind Trust is, if we're gonna improve K through 12 education and improve these other outcomes that I'm talking about, we have to get engaged in the sponsorship mentor uh, training for leadership space because it doesn't happen through its own. Just teaching a kid to read alone doesn't get us those outcomes. It's a part of the equation, but not the full equation. Right. And, and to making sure that our kids are thriving, right? That's right. And, and having those equalities. And, you know, that's that's a big load of word. There's depth to that. So as briefly as you can, any one of you uh, on the panel, in your opinion, what does that have to do with mentorship? <laughs> Yeah, I like to add some value to that. There are layers. There are layers to being on board in the street is like, yo, there's levels to this thing. There are layers to being a mentor to young men of color. And one of those layers is connected to identity. And so what immediately happens when young, when a when a black male such as myself or such as any of the other panelists here, um, respectfully, when we step in front of another black male, they instantly see a mirror, even if they can't identify with that, that concept at the moment, right? Yeah. And so ultimately they see someone who looks like them, potentially shares in their same experience or some type of experience, right? And so there's a connection that in that, that first part of identity is, is, is established. And then that allows for the other things to really become authentic, um, you know, things like, you know, setting up accountability because you know being a mentor means you know you have to put some pieces in in place for these young men roadmaps compasses for them to be successful well that all none of that's really possible without accountability and so for me to really to encourage you to be successful with that roadmap you must understand accountability and you must understand not goals but smart goals right and then how all that connects connects to where it is you you you, you um that you're positioning where you see yourself in life and you know, but again comes back to this layers to this thing you know and students men of color in class from young boys of colors and young girls too but young men of color they have to see mirrors not windows i mean i'll add to what coach t said and i think that was very powerful and i i connected back to my my personal experience do like three mentors when i was in elementary school there was a coach that was also a cop at the same exact time but he saw there was a group of us to be quite frank with you like we had you know strong hard work parents back my father had to work 80 hours a week that's what it was so what he did was he took that time to actually grab a group of young men together and actually start coaching us and they placed us in place like he didn't like initially like say things verbally but just his actions spoke to mentorship saw issue filled the void and make sure he was there modeling what it meant to be a strong intelligent thoughtful kind black male. And that was powerful for me. And guess what? I've coached basketball for 10 years. I've coached almost every single year since I was nine years old because of that. Um, another thing I really want is um, um, I, I was a kid that in my early high school career, I, str I struggled. Not academically, it was just some things that I didn't really build rules applied to me. 
And I went to several high schools in one year and I had a, a very strong mentor that stopped, pulled me aside and said, I, I believe in you. And I think you just being in this city is problematic and let's get you into a boarding school. And let's think about that. But he took this initiative to see me as a human being and look at my potential and see past that. And he coached me through that entire experience. So I think similar to what everyone said or what Coach T was saying is like, it's sometimes like people just believing in the innate ability of young black men and then following through, through modeling. And at the same time, following through, through questioning and being present and listening um, goes a long way. And if I didn't have those examples, I think I could have got lost in many different ways, but I had people that was constantly there um, reconnecting with me and showing me how things can look like through their own reality and not forcing me to look like their reality, but forging me to create my own. Yeah, that's mm. really powerful, Jeff. You know, when you talked about being seen, because many of our kids don't feel seen. They just feel mm. talked to and words are things. And when you're able to pull someone aside, whether, you know, that mentor, knowing it or not, pours into someone, they feel seen. And you yeah. feel like I'm somebody and, and, and to feel that, hey, I am accountable for myself and to someone else. Um, uh, I, I'm a mother of, of, a, of a young boy and we were out one day, I wanna say it like the arts fest at Broad Ripple. And there was a police officer that pulled him over, not pulled him over, but pulled him aside like, young man, what is your name? Well, what I want you to do is I want you to, to always be encouraged, be seen, and be engaged and the, the way that he said that was just so powerful for me you know as a mom and my, my husband and i are standing there like all right cameron um <laughs> engage be seen be consistent yeah. and uh, he took a picture with him was just so proud afterwards because he had taken that time somebody that he didn't even know to pour into him and to say something that meant something to him and showed him that he was seen i just think that was so powerful um, as our kids continue to do their best and they want to make an impact, but every, you just want to be seen, you want to be heard. And when, when that happens, great things do happen. Did anyone else want to um, expound on that? I'd love to, if I could. Um, sure. The conversation about being seen, that's a, that's a great testimony. Thank you for that. Um, and, uh, and just reflecting on also what Jeff said and what Patrick have said, have said um, I too had a mentor when I was young, and sometimes that being seen aspect is really important. Um, when I was in the Upward Bound program in high school, the director of the Upward Bound program was Latino, and I felt he saw me. Whenever he spoke to the whole crowd, I felt he was giving me a personal message. I know he wasn't. I know he was talking to everybody, but it felt that way. I think that's the importance of representation. And anytime I, I received an award and he was in the audience, I felt pride. I felt like I wanted a uh, to make him proud. And, and the times that he would set wow. me aside and give me advice, it was always powerful and I, and, I, and I felt it. And I feel that that ripple of community that that that, that gets created in that sense, um, I feel that I've been that for some people. Um, you know, I know that uh, when kids are valedictorians, it's, it's on their own merit, not anything that we did. But while I was at uh, George Washington Community School, during the time I was there, we had five Latino male valedictorians in a row. And that doesn't happen very often. Mm. 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 Yeah. And, and to continue to talk about, you know, being seen, there are situations where, you know, our children aren't being seen. And when we look at these stats, we see that there is so much work to do. If we could pull up the, scat, the stats, I'll go through them really quickly. According to uh, 
early learning childhood, early learning in Indiana, people of color represent only 14% of the early childhood workforce in Indiana. In 2017, there was a survey that appeared in a Chalkbeat report that showed 93% of Indiana teachers were white. People of color represent only 36% of the early childhood workforce nationally and just 14% in Indiana. Additionally, only 7% of the more than 30,000 early childhood educators across the state are men. Whoa, right? We'll go down to the next stat. Uh, since 2014, ethnic and uh, racial minorities make up more than half of the student population in the US public schools. Yet about 80% of those teachers are white and 77% of them are females. People of color make up 20% of the teachers and a mere 2% are black men. So as we look at those stats, wow, we take those in, we know the work that we're doing in the community. We see that there's so much more to be done. What do these stats signal to you? Any of the panelists can take that question. I think for- well, to, um, to me, I think they signal that yeah. we have, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Arnetta. Oh, go. No, I was please. just gonna say that Research. looking at those stats, looking at those stats makes us wanna work harder and so I would say we just actually had a panel, um, Mr. Patrick was on um, about a month ago, and we talked about black men in education. And so we had black men from all over the country basically talking about their perspective on what, how to get more um, black men educators. And so um, for me, because I also work in the school system, it's hard when our kids they don't really know the questions to ask. And so we're we're so close to, you know, getting those reports and making sure that they graduate from high school, but we're not talking about what happens after high school. And so if they have someone that actually gives them that support that they need, um, like my, my office, they always come into my office because I, I have food for them and I'm just that, that cool, fun office to be in, right? And they know that I'm going to put someone that looks like them in front of their face. If I want to be a teacher, you're going to meet a teacher. If you want to be a doctor, then you're going to meet a doctor. And so that's very important that they know that Ms. Scruggs is always going to have that mentor or that person that's going to guide them into whatever they, they want to do in the future. Yeah. You know, I was just going to add, I think the power of that proximity um, can, can be undermined and us establishing really as um, black and brown communities, establishing a culture around black male presence, around Hispanic male presence, um, so that that identity and that understanding now can start to really bolster a cultural awareness that, yo, my community is behind me. Um, I think that there's a certain, there's only a certain degree to which a young white woman in most cases, fresh out of college or an older white woman can really thoroughly understand a young black man. And for that young black man or young men of color to feel understood. Uh, and if I haven't really give you, given you privilege to really um, talk to my soul, and I think that goes to that mirror uh, that Coach T was talking about, um, then I, there's only so much credibility that your words have with me, you know, that, but that trust factor 
um, coming into the classroom and then expanding outside of the classroom, I think that starts to create a culture of understanding, a culture of awareness, and really just kind of the vulnerability aspect is there to allow you to speak into my soul, to allow you to correct me. Um, so yeah, I think that 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 the presence piece is is really key. Yeah, Karen, Karen, and panel. I think I have to let it know that I'm on a mission to to get our black babies uh, proficient in mathematics and English, and I don't think we can separate this from that. Those numbers represent. They're also representative yes. of the type of education that our kids are getting. You cannot become a teacher without a college degree. Yeah. That's step one, right? And the, the truth is the state of Indiana graduates about a thousand baccalaureate degrees to black people every year. And if we look at how many of those are going to other industries, if I'm a, if I'm a black person and I have an engineering degree, I'm not becoming a teacher straight out. If I'm a teacher, I'm, if I'm a black person and I have a chemistry degree, I'm not gonna become a teacher straight out. So then that's talent already lost. Then we have to look at the people leaving the state. That's more talent lost. Then how many people then are gonna become teachers in that cohort of a thousand that have just graduated? So then we have to understand that we need more black people to be going to first than graduating from college in the state of Indiana if we're gonna increase the teacher rates, if this is going to happen. For that to happen, education needs to improve. And if we look at the last I learned scores, if there are any, any, any kind of uh, omen of what is to come, that we don't have more coming down the pipeline right now. And we have time to change that. We have to be realistic about that. We have many schools within our state that have nearly 0% pass rates on both math and English tests. And I know a lot of people don't like to talk about tests and they think the tests are racist. Here's a fact, if you, are not proficient in mathematics and English, you will not graduate. If you don't graduate, you cannot become a teacher. If we're gonna put these black folks and Latino folks in front of our own children, we have to start graduating college. We have to start passing whatever exam they give teachers these days to get in front of them. And that is just a God's honest truth yeah. Because I love me some black teachers and I hate hearing stories in Indiana of people saying I've never had a black teacher in my life until I had Mr. Jones when I was a beneficiary in Compton, California of almost every teacher I had was black. Wow. Wow. And I went to an HBCU and I don't walk into rooms thinking that I can't be something or can't do something because Mr. Moses Robinson in 12th grade told me, don't you ever think like that? He also told me if you ever come in my class late again, it's going to be 40 pushups on site. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's yeah. soul speak right there. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you were on time after that. <laughs> Every single day. Yeah. 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 You know, that 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 that's powerful too. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, it's twofold. It's one, how do we tap in to the children, you know, uh, and young boys in particular on their level to help them through their cycle of life. In addition to recruiting in our community for those to be teachers. And how do we get started with that? How do we tap into both for anyone on the panel? I think one of the ways that you tap in, so I'm borrowed from my own story. I was that kid again. I said, I got kicked out of high school in the ninth grade. But prior to that, I was in middle school and I had middle school teachers that put me in front of where I was supposed to be. Listen, I went to the Dalton school. And if you know where that is, that's on the upper east, west side of 
uh, Manhattan. You don't just walk into the Dalton School, but that's where I went. I didn't belong there though, but I had mentors that paved the way so I can get there. What was missing when I got there was the mirror that I talked about because I saw windows. Very educated people at the Dalton School, but it was windows. And so what did I do? I jumped out the window because that's what I saw and ultimately could have wrecked my life. But I had some other things and some other mentors that came to the rescue. And so one of the things I think we had to get in front of, Patrick talked about this a moment ago, but it's the same thing that we want. Listen, if I want my son to be the greatest NBA player, I'm going to put everything NBA in his room. I want my daughter to be the next into whatever that is. I'm going to surround her world with all of that. We have to do the same thing when we want children to become the great, what it is that we want them to be, the great educated, a great radio personality, whatever that is. They have to see that, which, which connects to their identity because what ends up happening sometimes is that young boy or girl, they, 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 they get to a point to where they think that the skills that they have, right, Mm-hmm. are a career bound, but no, those things are really hobbies. And there's nothing wrong with being a, having basketball as a hobby, but that's not a career if you haven't been prepared for that. It's a hobby and there's nothing wrong with that. And so, but again, you know, a lot of times, you know, tying this all together, I think a lot of the times, you know, young men of color, young boys of color in the schools are misunderstood. Look, you saw the numbers. If 93% or whatever, more than 50% of the teachers are white, I'm, there's, there's, there's an opportunity, right, here we go. So yes. if, if most of them are white, and I'm not knocking them because listen, they chose to pursue that career and put the work in to get that. But if those are the numbers, then there's an opportunity for th- for me to be misunderstood. And then once I'm misunderstood, uh, I, I, I can potentially be misguided because they don't necessarily understand my story. And so, what really could become a superhero story turns into a superhero nightmare. And, you know, it, it just gets worse from there. And so I think I think being intentional, the same way we would teach a child how to walk, we wouldn't start talking to a kid who couldn't understand words and say, come here, little baby, let me teach you how to walk. No, it's not what we do. We say, think about your son, Cameron. When you wanted him to walk, you, you had to get those hands stable on the table, wall, yeah. desk, chair, and then the little boy, your son, all of our kids, right? They got comfortable standing up. And then what did they do after that? They ran. And then what did we do after that? Slow down because you're going to hurt yourself. But what we really meant is now we need to show you how to fall when you get up. Because that's what what happens. That's what has to happen in those scenarios. And so I think, you know, being intentional about what we want to happen. If we want, I'm going to take a page out of Covey's book. And a few other people have said this. But Dr. Stephen Covey says this. Listen. The best way to predict your future is to create it. So if, I, if I'm trying to get teachers, I got to create that. I got to start at the beginning, be intentional, show them. It doesn't matter what the test is. If you understand reading and you understand writing, I don't care what test it is. You you have solid reading and math skills. You're going to pass the exam because it all comes down to fundamentally under, being, being having solid reading comprehension, uh, reading comprehension and uh, uh uh, math foundational skills, and I just think we have to we have to get back to that. I'll jump in really quickly. I, like I think looking at the stats, and this is not this quote's not for me, but I was a part of a fellowship in Philly um, that that used this mantra: "Like two percent is not enough." And let's be real with that: two percent is really not enough. Yeah. However, I'm a pragmatic thinker and a structural thinker, 
and think about how do we actually increase this. And I, I believe in several things. I, I believe mentorship is a huge component of it, but the development is a huge component of it as well, as well as accountability. If we know X amount of percent of teachers are white, then we know at the end of the day, in the next 10 years, still there's gonna be a large percentage of our teachers, right? And we gotta hold them accountable for biases that they have on black and brown kids and how to instructionally lead or teach classrooms. And I think right now, we are leaders in education and we're in that point that this place to actually do that work around accountability mentorship and development and i come back to us as a group of us um being comfortable or being uncomfortable being comfortable to make sure that we're holding people accountable to make sure that they're getting results for kids and i think that's a huge component of that and i think lastly i, I go back to it like we got to think about things through pragmatic pragmatically like we know there's a huge population of white teachers, so we got to make sure they're held accountable to get results for kids. But the second thing is like, you know, each one teach one. You see a black and brown person, what are we doing to pull them up? And what are we doing to not just like say, you get pulled up. And I'm like, like, like you going through the line of education. Like when you leave here, you're going to rep this, this, this fraternity really, really well to doing kids well. And I think all too often we talk about things for education, but the reality is, man, if our, like if our, the, the bank or the bench is the kids. And if they're not prepared, then we are doing a huge disservice to them. And we're setting up to yeah. be solving the same problems rather than solving new problems. And I think that is a huge insult to them because you know this is the same thing has been going on for X amount of years that they're trying to problem solve when they're brilliant enough to create new possibilities for themselves. So I sum back up is accountability, mentorship, and true development. And I think all leaders should be asking themselves what I need to do to feel comfortable or feel comfortable being uncomfortable to get there to hold people accountable. Yes, agreed. I sign off my show uh, every day saying each one teach one, each one reach one. Um, at my church at home, uh, Varick, Amy Zion Church, that's how we wrapped up service. But there's one part that, that I left off. And the last part was each one save one. Mm -hmm. And it really spoke to helping, assisting, um, and pulling each other up continuously. And I feel that we're in the state of doing that even most are now to where there's another veil that has been taking off our community. Like there's so much more that, that we have to do and really coming together and doing that. Hence this panel right now. And when you add in what's going on with this new generation of men and what they're dealing with, uh, especially now during this pandemic, um, you know, the social injustice that's going on when you think of George Floyd and Trayvon, the age of social media, what's going on with the election. There's a lot of kids out here that 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 are scared and not knowing what to do. And they are trying to put their best foot forward. But, you know, when it when it comes to dealing with our mental health going on right now. So, you know, they have different a different set of issues, needs and ways of communicating, you know, how do you bring that and bridge that into mentorship in 2020? I think I'll start us off there because I think the first thing we got to recognize is that what, what our kids are dealing with is not exactly new. Mm -hmm. It's new to them. Right. So when you put things in perspective, it's like, yes, they were dealing with this election, but we had great grandparents that dealt with the Civil War. It's like, yes, they're dealing with George Floyd, but we had grandparents that dealt with the South in the 30s and 40s and 50s, right? So this is this is new to them. And I think you have to come to it with that perspective and you come to it with that appreciation. So when kids come to you about their troubles or what they're dealing with or what, how they're handling things, you look at it as, it's almost like you're coming to it with the humility and you're humbling themselves to learn more That's about right. what they're going through. 
you're you're humbling yourself to understand right in the moment so that they can tell you the story that gets you a better understanding of what they're going through. But I think you also, as the mentor, have to keep things in perspective and not say that this time is harder than another time. That's a dangerous sp space to be in because then you don't understand how the times past can help you in the times future. Nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. Mm -hmm. That's powerful, Patrick. I was it's just all, all a, it's all building. Yeah. And I think it's also to this point, just listening. So our, our students are going through so much, our um, young men especially, they're just going through so much and they just want to want somebody to just listen to what they're going through and their perspective. And sometimes like even in schools, um, that's kind of hard because we are trying to, you know, teach them so much. But just having that 15 minutes of just having a mental health break. Right. Let's just do a mental health check. You can yell. We um, when everything started happening this summer. We stopped doing programming and just started just doing Zoom calls where they can cuss, they can yell, they can say whatever, however they feel. Um, and it's just for them to just get it all out and just process it. So I think right now it's just listening to what our young people have to say mm -hmm. is important. Yeah. I think, uh, so I'll, I'll say. Sorry. Go ahead, sir. I think, I think that regardless of the medium and the times, uh, as Patrick said, things haven't changed that much. Things there, there's many things, there are many things that are very similar. And what doesn't change is that our students need to learn. And um, one of the things that we could do is we could teach students no content and just teach them how to guess on tests. And I bet you they'd be doing better than 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 they are doing now. And that's a that's a sad testament to how our educational system is right now. So one thing we could do is raise our academic uh, standards for all students. And that's what we all do at the Mind Trust. And the second is also instill and implement culturally responsive practices in all in all the curriculum, whether regardless of the medium. And that is something that has been also proven to uh, impact student achievement for all students, but especially for Black and Brown students. Mm -hmm. And you do that through community. And all of these things that we uh, that we believe in can be done within a school, and they can be done to uh, transform the way education has been disseminated to our students. And we must dismantle that school to prison pipeline that uh, yes. continues that every single thing we see out in the world and the way that we see uh, the way our black and brown men are treated by authority figures, we see it in the, we see it in the schools. We see a reflection and a mirror of that very same thing in the schools and the best way to do that is the way the Mind Trust is doing it. Quite honestly, it is it is helping Black and Brown uh, leaders to start schools that will dismantle those systems of injustice. Percy, what were you going to say? No, I was. Uh, I think he kind of went into it. Uh, and when you see, I was thinking about us as the church. And for so long, from what he said, from what Arnetta was talking about, and uh, we know we got Coach T, we got uh, Mayat, who's come in and done outstanding work, but in partnership with the Montrose, when the church is now even positioning itself to say, we are called to be the, at the heart of community, right? So what does that look like for us to uh, take black and brown people and bring them in our building, bring them into our community? Um, because that's a big uh, part of mentorship as well. You always have time for me. 
<clears throat> and when we were talking about presence and proximity, the power of that, if I'm in the classroom with you and I can walk past your room and stick my head and say, yo, Coach T, like that, that proximity now, Coach T is going to make time for me. Arnetta is going to make time for me. Um, so just kind of what, what I was getting at with the cultural piece, making these things an expectation in the culture. We will not be behind in STEM. We will put black men in classrooms. We will raise up black boys and black girls to go into classrooms and continue to be um, what the community needs it to be. So I just think that's a powerful testimony to have sectors, education, and everybody saying, no, we're going to raise these standards, then coming into partnership and then collectively mentoring the community, collectively discipling the culture. I appreciate you saying that so much. And I think what, what I heard this quote, and don't call me a fan, I mean, I'm saying the, the PG version of it, but it was um, people are learning how to read when people are hanging on trees. So for me, when I think about this, it's the generational trauma deeply connected to all of this, that the mentorship is extremely important. Because when we have these traumas, we have these things happening daily, um, <laughs> yearly, centuries, you know, like it has a huge impact. And I think as adults too, we, we do need to shift to begin to talk about the impact it has around us and for us. And we need to model that for the kids as well so they can be able to express it and put it out there so they can have things on the table so they can move to new possibilities for themselves as well. I think all too often what happens in cycles is that sometimes the opposite happens. So you go through traumatic impact, you know, it's fight or flight, you know, and then you get into that mode. And I think we do have an obligation to begin to think about how we begin to talk about this a bit differently um, and put it out on the table so then our kids will have the transferable tools to do the same exact thing. I don't have a doubt that our kids can't problem solve it at all. I think sometimes it's us as adults actually get in the way without us realizing it because we think we're doing the safe and the best thing for them by not having this conversation about the impact stuff have on us. And I think we begin to, and people are doing it, don't get me wrong, but we begin to do it, especially us men, we we speak we speak to and we speak about it. That can be very transformative as well because this this is this, it's heavy, man. A lot of that stuff is heavy, man. I, you saw, I don't know if you guys watched that Dave Chappelle clip when he spoke about it, man. It was the most powerful thing that froze me. And yeah, when he spoke about it, yeah. visualizing the way, but his language allowed me to really think about it and taught me the importance of communication and speaking to it. And that can create new possibilities. Mm -hmm. Did anyone have any anything else they wanted to add on that point? That was all amazing points, great points, great takeaways for our viewers uh, that are watching now. And you know, many of our viewers are watching are taking this in, they're taking notes, they see all of your names, they know what you do, and they have children that are, that are in need of mentorship. They have children that you know need help with school, they need help with um, everyday skills. So what are some of the initiatives that you all are, are working on and, and working through? And most importantly, the viewers that are watching now how can they reach you? How can they tap into some of the initiatives that that you guys are working on now to, you know, take care of one of the points that we've talked about to tap into to our kids and our community and help them the best way that we can. Karen, I'm going to tap out and say I support the people on the screen. Only one I don't know well is Percy. I love y'all and I love to support y'all work. Go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say we, um, you know, one of the things that we're doing is we received a very generous donation from 16 Tech to continue to lead the work because we can't be everywhere, but we certainly can start with one space. And so, you know, we launched this initiative in the Riverside community, and we also are launching in January on the uh, 
on the east side Arlington Woods uh, community. And so what those initiatives are is about weaponizing the minds of these young people. Because once you weaponize your mind, that means you're educated. That means that you have a you have a you, you have tools in, in your in your in your arsenal to pull out. But it starts with being able to uh, see yourself in that particular space. And so in any community that's under-resourced, right? We know what that means, but there's no shortage of technology uses in those communities. We have to change the paradigm from using that technology to owning and creating that technology. And so these initiatives that I just talked about, the one in Riverside, the one on the um, east side or Arlington Woods is all about that. We are showing students, kids, how to weaponize, how to own, how to create, how to reimagine STEM engineering, how to reimagine what it is that they use every day. And we could put so many things in, into those categories. Um, and so I would just say, start with, um, to reach me, I'm, I'll be specific, to reach me, you just go on, you go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you type in Stemnasium, you will find me and what it is that we do. Um, and we, 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 can't, we can't be specific enough uh, but we certainly wanna, want, want to um, to make our presence felt in those communities and then branch out branch out from there. And then with the work that we look to do next year with East Star Church as well. So we're in the community and we look to just, we, we're gonna tend, continue to, to uh, be present. Francisco? Oh, thank you. Um, well, through the Mind Trust Fellowship, uh, the Innovation School Fellowship, uh, I'll be launching a school uh, it's a six through 12 school. And as I alluded to earlier, uh, I talked about high academic standards and in the Latino community, we have high academic expectations. Um, there was a Pew study that showed that Latino families by far were the, the most that really expect and want their children to get a college education. So the first foundational principle is ganas. And you might've heard this word in the movie Stand and Deliver where um, Edward James almost made the word made the word famous, or at least amongst us Latinos, right? Uh, but in our community, we send our students to school every day saying to the kids, echale ganas. And that just means put forth maximum effort and don't give up and persevere. Um, and that's the first foundational principle that is, that is uh, high academic standards. Uh, secondly, um, the second foundational principle is orgullo, and that means pride. And with that goes co uh, culturally responsive pedagogies and practices throughout the school and especially in the curriculum. We're going to, we don't do just the heroes and holidays and wait for um, Hispanic Heritage Month or Black History Month. And uh, we, we do that and we'll, we will incorporate that into the curriculum, into the programming of the entire school. Um, and it's not just Latino history and it's not just Black history uh, because in, in the Latino community, if you don't know, uh, Latino history is Black history. And if you, it, there are there are more there was more African diaspora to Latin America than there was to the United States, and so yes, we sir. have a shared history, uh, and we have a shared culture, and we and we will make that explicit in the curriculum. Um, and third is community comunidad. It is well known that the community school model uh, is uh, does great things for students. It allows them to maximize their potential because it takes away the health and social service. Uh, needs and, and problems that, that might arise when they don't have those things, and that will be provided at the school. If anybody's interested in the school, um, it will, it, I, 
reach out to me, Francisco Valdeosera. I'm a Mind Trust fellow. Look at the Mind Trust uh, website, and um, you'll find me there. And by the way, the name of the school, as symbolic as the uh, monarch butterfly has been in terms of immigration or migration, um, the school is going to be called Monarca Academy. Nice, beautiful, and congratulations. Congratulations on your launch of your school. That's that's amazing. And well proposed, right? We we still have to get the charter approved, but you know, but we're gonna claim it though. Right. <laughs> Put it out there, right? Yeah, we're gonna mm -hmm. claim that. That's that's gonna happen. So con early congratulations to you. And as we as we wrap up, um for those that are watching now, let let's let let's talk to them for a bit. What would you tell a young man who is watching or listening now? that doesn't feel heard or seen, especially during these times? I would tell him to join the Bloom Project. <laughs> um, so we are a youth-led organization. And so a lot of um, things that we do in the community is all youth-led. Um, start a panel, have those discussions and don't allow just adults to be on panels and not and talk about you instead of let them listen to what you have to say about what your opinion on what's going on and give feedback. And don't be scared to, to do that because a lot of adults will listen. Um, and so I will, again, join the Bull Project. Awesome. Let's go to Jeff. I'll, honestly, I'll tell, like sometimes don't wait for a mentor to go come to you, go out there and find a mentor as well. I think often we, we, we put ourselves in position to wait, when I strongly believe you can actually, kids are powerful and they can go seek things out. And I'm just saying there's kids that are younger that, that do need a, little, need, need a little help, but then reach out to people that's closest to you and push them to connect you to something that you're passionate about. And I'm also gonna take on what Ms. Shrugs did and just do, do a, a quick um, plug-in as well, like come to Promise Prep. If, if you wanna do that, whether you wanna work in a place that do transformative work with kids, you can do that there. Or if you're a kid between in grades K2, please come in. We want to create a space in which we are doing transformative work with particularly young men and women, but we want to do that work. But I think Promise Prep is a great place to do that. Nice. Percy? We're going to come back to you, Percy. I think that, that you're muted. Let's go to uh, Francisco. What I would say to a young person, a young man that doesn't feel seen, what I would say to them is um, you're not invisible. You're invincible. And we just got to recognize that. And in Spanish, I would say, no eres invincible. No eres invisible, eres invencible. Um, our community, the Latino community, and all of our community, we have persevered through, through the worst things, right? And so what we need to understand is that we are invincible because we're still here and we're still persevering. So reach out, reach out to me, reach out to any one of the people here and they're great mentors. They're great people, and um, mm -hmm. I'm there for you if you if you need to talk to someone. Uh, because in in my community specifically, we are unseen. Um, if anything has been happening to all of our communities right now, as you as you will see with the over 500 kids who were separated from their families, I know that we have a lot of allies here. Um, but overall, we do feel unseen because if somebody could do that to kids, they could do it to anybody. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. Percy, we're gonna try to go back to you now. Okay, 
you're still um, on our end muted. We, we see you, but we don't hear you. Okay, awesome. Percy says, I'm good. Uh, Coach T? What I would say to uh, a young person that feels like they're not being heard or being seen right now, I would say these things. We or you are an answer to an ancestral prayer. That's the first thing. The second thing is our ancestors went through way worse. And so we cannot deny them what they struggle for. And to tie that into it, every superhero has an origin story and every one of you is a superhero. And to maximize on that, that's what we're here for. That's what that's what Promise Prep is here for. That's what the Bloom Project is here for. That's what Monaca Academy is represents. That's what Eastern Star Church is about, the Montrose is about. And certainly that's what Stymnasium Science, Math, Engineering Middle School is about. And so, you know, reach out to us in our perspective lanes. And, you know, we, we can't give up because our ancestors went through way worse. When you look at what we created and what we struggled for, we cannot deny our ancestors what they struggled for. We can't do it. That's right, Percy. <laughs> Pat Patrick, we'll wrap with you. Yeah. So one of my one of my mentors told me that these times um, these times are is a spiritual battle. This has nothing to do with technical change. It has nothing to do with how much more this we can put in and how much harder we can work. This is a spiritual battle. If you look at this from the perspectives of if we were to go into outer space and look at the earth right now, we can see the whirlwinds of power fighting for supremacy right now. We have to understand that because if we don't understand that when we're fighting a battle we can't win because we're fighting with the wrong tools. That these young men, if a young man comes to you and needs a hopeful message, understand it's not gonna take one message, it's gonna take several. And we're gonna have to call on our spiritual energy to get this thing right, whether it's, it's prayer, whether it's the human connection, we're gonna to have to rely on our spiritual energy to get that thing right. We have to find somebody we trust, somebody who can re we can rely on, somebody who's gonna be consistent for us, somebody who's gonna give us a constant connection because we have to understand that in this humanity, we are not alone. In this humanity, we could never be alone and to thrive as humans, we have to be together. And so to tap into that spiritual energy with one another is the thing that's going to get us through it whether it be a young man a young woman whether it be one of us we all have the same thing and we need that we need each other and we need the spiritual energy that sustains us mm -hmm. the connection and the consistency mm -hmm. yes continued mm -hmm. and this is just the beginning of you know these types of discussions i know that we're going to be doing more with the mind trust as well but this is this is a great start, right? In a great way to, to wrap up 2020 and to kick off 2021. So thank you all for, for being here and, and lending your expertise, uh, lending your time, your know-how, and even beforehand, some of your musical preferences. Um, I know that you are all uh, working extremely hard um, mm -hmm. at tapping into our kids and connecting with our kids and, and being intentional and teaching them the best steps so they can be their best selves, which empowers you and empowers them because when, when we each one teach one and we continue to build one, more will build. Our communities will go from, you know, from one house to one block to one community to one city 
to one state, to one nation. So thank you all. Thank you all for everything that you do. And thank you for being here today. And I look forward to working with all of you. So whenever you need um, a, a sister to come in and, and chat to the boys or, or chat to the girls, I'm here as well, because it definitely takes a village. And thank you for being that village today on the Mind Trust panel, Generational Manhood, Mentoring for Equality. I appreciate you guys and have an amazing day and a blessed holiday.